to reclaim the American dream and reaffirm that fundamental truth that out of many we are one. You hear that line? Line's for you. Don't make me last. For one people. It's a myth created by Thomas Jefferson. Oh, now you never go with Jefferson, huh? My friend, Jefferson's an American saint because he wrote the words, all men are created equal. Words he clearly didn't believe since he allowed his own children to live in slavery. He was a rich wine snob who was sick of paying taxes to the Brits. So yeah, he wrote some lovely words and aroused the rabble and they went out and died for those words while he sat back and drank his wine and fucked this slave girl. This guy wants to tell me we're living in a community. Don't make me laugh. I'm living in America. And in America, you're on your own. America's not a country. It's just a business. Now fucking pay me. Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. Gabe, Justine, she wants to know if you've heard this new Ozzy stuff. Um, and I said... I don't think Gabe's a big Aussie guy, and I don't even think he likes Black Sabbath all that much. And she's like, well, what kind of metalhead is he supposed to be? <laughs> so, I mean, do you? Are you an Aussie guy in any way? Really? No, I, I do like Ozzy. I do like Ozzy. My first concert ever was Ozzy Osbourne with Metallica. With Metallica. You weren't there for Ozzy. You were there for Metallica. Yes, but here's a little known secret. Okay. I, I went with Matt Garcia and a buddy of ours, mm-hmm. and we were running late, of course. We get there, and they're breaking, they're breaking the stage down with the crosses and the stuff from Master Puppets. We missed the whole set. Oh, the whole so, set. <laughs> the whole set. So all these years when you said to me that you saw Metallica open up for Ozzy, you didn't. I think I, seen, I think I seen the Cliff's bell bottoms walking away, maybe. But I, later that spring, I saw him headline at Aragon Ballroom, so that counts. Uh, you just conflate those two concerts now in your head. I saw Metallica open for Ozzy, but I didn't see him play. I just saw him open. Mm. They, they, they broke the stage down and then walked on. away. What you saw. The point is, I do like Ozzy. I like Black Sabbath. I'm just not a huge Black Sabbath fan, but I did hear the song. I was kind of shocked at how well he sounded, how good he sounded as singing. But because of that guy that sings with him. Well, I know. I, I was thinking that the whole time. It's like, man, this guy's... Cliff so, Gorman? He, he doesn't sound like he's 70-something. Is he? No. But for the big thing for me is Jeff Beck is on it. And I, I love Jeff Beck. Justine's like, yeah, the guitar solo is really good on this new song. I was like, oh, yeah? Was Zach Wilde? She was like, no. Some guy named Jeff Beck? And I was like, what? <laughs> she didn't say that, did she? Kind of. 
Is Cliff Gorman the name you use? Because Cliff Gorman is the is a is that crazy actor. I don't remember if that was the name I used. <laughs> but yeah. Why don't you like Black Sabbath? No, I do like You're Black kind of Sabbath. not really a metalhead. You don't like Zeppelin. You don't like mm-hmm. Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I like Black Sabbath. I, I have growing up I had uh, we sold our soul for rock and roll, the double album best of um uh, best of you're one of those guys. But I think Paranoid came up before I was even born. What does that have to do with anything? How is that? How can you use that as a as an excuse? It's just uh, the Beatles like fan. To... Everything came out before you were born from the Beatles. Yeah, but uh, I love the Live Evil album. With oh Dio, but... I think Black Sabbath's the double album was one of the records in my collection that made its way to the family collection. And when I opened it up after taking it out of the family collection, you found the, the seeds in the spine. You know what I'm talking uh, about? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't think I ever told that story either. I'm just saying, uh, Black Sabbath wasn't big in my family. They were just, but, everybody listened to them outside of the house, so I didn't have to play them inside the house. You don't listen to metal because your family liked metal. That's like, that's the the reason to listen to metal. I, I like Black Sabbath and I like Ozzy. The first two Ozzy albums are great, but I, I, you know, Bark at the Moon, eh, it's not that good. Does isn't your dad a big fan of Shot in the Dark by Ozzy? I seem to remember him thinking that's a great song. That song and what's that other one? Uh, so your dad likes Ozzy more than you do? No, they used to play hard rock on at the radio station at work, and they would always. They'd play Crazy Train and what's that song? I don't know. With the squeals, woo! You know. I don't know. I can't think of it. It's called I Don't Know. No, 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 no. Later on, after Shot the Dark, after Ultimate Sin. Oh, was, um, what was that single? Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no more tears. No, no more tears. tears. Yeah, they play that every day on this, the Kenosha radio station. The guitar playing in No More Tears. Can we talk about how great that is? I mean, I I think it's it's my blood my bloody Valentine level of what the fuck is he doing? You know what I mean? When he starts playing that really weird, wah, 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 I'm kind of like, this is nuts. And that's Zach Wild. That's yeah. pretty wild. Zach Wild saying. rules, Zach man. Wild is wild. He's Gabe, a... I don't think that know that I've ever quite understood. What is your issue with Zeppelin? Oh come on, no. I don't want to get into it. It's it's just they it's don't write courses. They don't write courses. You don't so but you don't find their singles, their their big hits are not catchy enough for you? Is that what I'm understanding? Uh They're not catchy. They're they're groovy. They're groovy. Listen to them. You don't know what you're talking about. I can't, I can't have this conversation with you, yes, you can. again. Their songs are <laughs> I'm sorry, but I I, 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 did, I, I, I have. My, I'm not a huge Zeppelin fan either, but I would never say like, oh, they're, they're, you know, their hits are not catchy. Like I don't understand why they're popular. They're super catchy. Yeah. Next, next subject. Come on, Gabe. Tell us, <laughs> tell us what's going on these days in the world of. You got any pop culture? Pop culture. News for us? <laughs> <laughs> Gabe, our pop culture newsman. I, I, pop culture aficionado, Gabe Rodriguez. Hey. I've got some friends on Facebook that are kind of dumb. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they post things. And I'm like, "What? What just happened? What did I miss?" And this guy says, 
fuck you, Billy Joe Armstrong. I'm not going to listen to your records again. So I'm like, what did he say? Well, I guess Billy Joe. Guess. What did he say? What did he say? Would it have something to do with Gagorshin? <laughs> he he was going to renounce his citizenship to the United States. He's going to become a British citizen or something because of the Roe v. Wade. He should, first of all, because he sings in a British accent, he should already be a British Amen citizen. to that. Amen I mean, to and, that. And, you know, he's not wrong. Who the hell can actually uh, celebrate July 4th, the 4th of July this year? I'm not going to. It's fucking bullshit. Billy Joe is right to be disgusted. This is disgusting. The, everybody on the Supreme Court are liars. And we were talking about gaslighting, you know, a couple of weeks ago. They've been gaslighting us for the last six years. Oh, it's established law. And it's like, you guys are overreacting. And they're still telling us we're overreacting. We're not going to go after gay rights next. Yes, you are. Absolutely. I mean, where is it going to end? But uh, he's not going to mess with interracial marriage. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder why. It's a tough one. It's tough to understand what, what people are thinking these days. No, it's not tough to understand. It's, it's so, the hypocrisy is easier to understand than just about anything else. I want laws for you, not for me. That, that's just, anybody who thinks like that is a piece of garbage. So, so Billy Joe, we see you. And we're going to put on Kerplunk in your honor. I don't think Ben likes Green Day. Ben, you don't like Green Day? Uh, I like that. What's that name of that album? American Idiot? Yeah. I mean, who's, who's getting mad at Green Day now? I mean, didn't they already right. out themselves? <laughs> well, okay, what's more annoying? His accent or Sting's fake Jamaican accent? His accent. You, you don't. You didn't even think about it. Because Sting is British, and when they do, I mean, all those British guys are doing either fake American accents or other kind of bullshit accents. Like you just sort of expect it. But like, uh, I don't. On this side of the fence, just sing like you fucking were born here, you <laughs> asshole. Well, it brings up a good question, Gabe. Are you aware that Sting is British? I thought he was. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something. I thought he was from down under. First of all. <laughs> oh my god I mean you know that Men at Work is basically police the police right I get it but I like the catchiness of Men at Work's singles more than I do police singles oh whoa, really are you whoa, saying whoa. That there are no hey, choruses hey, hey. No, on no, no, police no, no. songs I, dude I can, you I take like Men it. at Work over the police no no no, no, no. I didn't say that I yes said no I he like would actually I said, I said I like the catchiness of Men at Work's songs now the police singles aren't catchy enough for you no 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 they're the catchiest motherfucking songs ever written synchronicity is not catchy not catchy (laughs) all right synchronicity is their worst record it doesn't count okay i'm just saying but are you are you talking about the record or the song the song synchronicity one or two good question i couldn't get past one or two i don't know what the difference is i'm just saying well one is about you know sitting in well, two is the one that's sitting in shiny metal boxes. And then synchronicity one is do 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 
With one blow, you will know. I like one. I don't like two. I like one, I think. I like the lyrics of two. It's so ridiculous. Sing two to me? I can't remember the melody. Trapped like lemmings in shiny metal boxes. (laughs) It's just a suicidal race. Daddy stares alone into the distance. He knows something somewhere has to break. And then it's got that bit about something crawling from the slime. By the way, Ed Steve Sleeve, are you video. not listening to the show anymore? We don't get any of your your, your uh, mashups. Steve Sleeve's busy. He asked me to be in this video. Oh. Uh, so. Tell him he's he's, he's gotten into films. <laughs> I'm not saying the police are not good. I'm just saying when I want to hear a catchy pop song, I listen to Men at Work. And it's the first record I ever bought in my life on the cassette. Business as usual. What's the yeah. best Men at Work song? Uh... <clears throat> Probably Overkill. Right. But that's not even Probably. on the first album, right? That's not even on the first album. It might be on our second one. Cargo? Yeah. Is it called yeah. Cargo? Overkill's not on the first one? No. Overkill was the is. lead single from their album that sort of, you know, died. Took a bomb. I don't think there's any other good songs on that album. What about Be Good Johnny? I know you're going to bring up Ooh. Be Good Johnny. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> but that police is sounding pretty good right now. So, uh, Gabe, who do we have on the show today? Today, we have the famous and uh, proliferous, is that a word? Matt Walker. Proliferous, I don't even think that's a word. Matt Walker, drummer aficionado. He's a drummer aficionado. Yes. Did you work on this intro? No, this is all from the top, from the hip here. So proliferous, which I don't know is a word. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> An aficionado, which does not, I don't think that's the right word. For you me. vociferously deny that proliferous is a word? Amphibiously. Do you, mean, do you mean prolific? He's very prolific. Yes, he is. Hey, I learned a word, another one of these, like, um, words kids are using in ways that I had no idea. So this is the new merch I learned last night. Okay. Do you guys I know wish what? We had, wait, I wish we had, a, like, a theme song for this segment. <laughs> yeah, well, we can work one up. Yeah, okay. do it to do it. You know, do a police cover with new lyrics. Right. Um, but um, do you guys know what the word "cross" means these days? Well, it used to mean angry, right? Yeah. Well, sure. That's one. That was one meaning, right? That's not the meaning that you're thinking of. No. Okay. So cr- oh. to cross a street or cross that you know people are using to take women's rights away. I mean, which cross are we talking about? Okay, so I'll give it to you in the context of the sentence that was read to me. He's totally cross. Do you want me to have him stay over tonight or try to get him home somehow? Oh, so he's fucked up. Yeah, but cross specifically means that the guy, the person, is both drunk and high. He's cross. He's crossed. I guess he's crossed his his intakes. <laughs> right. Oh, so it's crossed with ED. Well, but it's not. They just say he's cross. He's cross. Yeah. In the state of, of cross. being cross. Yeah. Dude is way cross. Dude's cross, man. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. That's because we got know. all these different kinds of drugs these days. I need to have a word for the people that take multiples. Right? Sure. But you also, you know, you don't want to make anybody cross at you for being cross. No, he's so, wickedy whack. But somebody's cross with him for being so cross, right? I sure was. 
I got you. Perfect. Sorry. Go ahead, Dick Gabe. Who do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Matt Walker, the drummer, played with Filter, played with the Pumpkins, played with the short-lived, long-lived Cupcakes. <laughs> Who else? All kinds of stuff. Yeah, he plays with Morrissey. Uh, he, he fills in for Garbage. Uh, the band. B- the band. Big can't, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, he's making a video. I, I did a video the other day with him for his Of a Thousand Faces project band that he's had going for a while. Uh, did a video with him and uh, Michael Shannon. So we can talk about that. And yeah. So this is the second member of the cupcakes that we've had, or cupcakes. Is it? Is there a the in cupcakes? I don't think there is. No. This is the second member of cupcakes we've had on the show separately. Have we, have we had any? Have we had other multiple members of the same band on the show in separate interviews yet? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Maybe um, Juliana and Ed Velasquez counts. Juliana no. and Frida Love Smith. Why doesn't Juliana suppose, yeah. and Ed count? I don't know, because, you know, Ed's, not really Ed's, Ed's, Ed's a journeyman. Right. You know, Frida. I, I, I guess if we yeah, have Frida counts. What about Ryan Harding? Well, not that our band. Not, not your band. Not this band. It counts. Frau Blucher. <laughs> it, was Mel, it was Mel Brooks' birthday yesterday or today or something like that. How old is Mel Brooks? 95, 96. God damn it. He's going to get past Happy birthday, Mel Brooks. Well, we just killed him. By mentioning, we oh, no, no, just no, 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 <laughs> no. He was born in 1926. What does that make him? 90, 94. Jewish. <laughs> Six years short of 100. <laughs> Isn't it? I don't know. I don't trust you with math ever since you, uh, what was it, last week you said you were, somebody was five years younger. No, he was talking about inches. Oh, inches, right, right. <laughs> Something else I thought we were never going to talk about again. <laughs> Did we get some blowback about the heightism? Nope. Nobody cares. Nobody's on your side about that. Half the country's on my side on this. Half? You're saying half is five five and below? Easily. If you count everybody that's fifteen years and younger. <laughs> I'll tell you the thing that people are talking about. They have about, hope. <laughs> the thing that people are talking about from last week is that goddamn um what's his name? Scott Stapp singing the Marlins song, which really is mind blowing. Like it it totally lives up to the hype. Like it's like, how is that not a parody? Yeah, like who thought that that's the way to do anything? I mean, it's not, he's not kidding, right? No. Wow. I mean, and it it was massive. There's a video of him singing the Marlin song? What was that? You don't listen to our podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Walker. Hi, Matt. How you doing? Hey, Scott. Hey, guys. How's that video coming? Uh, it's coming along. It's going to take a while. Yeah, why? Um, because we're planning another shoot day or two and not sure when or how we'll do that yet. 
because the uh, director lives in New York. Right. You don't need me for that extra shoot day, do you? Well, we might. Really? No, actually, um, no, no. <laughs> okay. The scene that you did is great. Mm-hmm. It really came out well. So Okay. I don't think anybody knows what you guys are talking about. Yeah, we're you're going to clue us in or we're just going to yeah. sit here? Like, Scott's acting in a, in a Matt Walker video? What's going on? Yeah, um, I was making a video uh, recently for one of my songs. Um, and Now, is this of a, of a Thousand Faces thing? Yeah, 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 under my solo moniker of A Thousand Faces, which I've been working on for a long time. And this is part of a collection of songs that I'm holding off on releasing until I have it all done and it's it's like 18 songs and like eight <sighs> videos or something. I'm maybe halfway done or so. Right. Right. So, uh, I'm just trucking along doing the projects as I can get them done and I, I asked our mutual friend Michael Shannon if he would be in this video because he's singing the song. About right, about, right. A, about a year previous he he came when he was in town he sang the song. So it's Michael singing on the song and 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 who else? Nico Case. Nico Case. And Nico was not at the shoot. No. Um, no. At present, she's probably not going to be in the video because of her schedule. But I take so long to complete anything. There's, I have this little hope that before it's done, I'll reach out one last time, maybe show her some footage and say, are you sure you don't want to be? Right. You know? So um, maybe. Well, you sent me that text and you were like, uh, hey, you feel like doing some acting with your buddy Mike? And I was like... Of course, yeah. Anything, anything for you, but yeah. But it, it, it was a little out of the blue. No, it was a little intimidating. You know, it was kind of like, it, you know, I have the. I used to do acting in high school, and I had these recurring nightmares that I agreed to do a play, and I can't remember any of the lines. It's not like I, I only had three lines for your video, so it's not a huge thing. But, but the entire time there, that kind of like. Uh, you know, that fear was, was yeah. in my head. I have these reoccurring nightmares. I'm going to get asked to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, a, you know, it's a little bit intense because, you know, you, you only have in that case the one day and you know, mm-hmm. time is short and you know, there's a lot on the, on the wish list to get shot wise. Um, and I mean, and you've done it enough to know that there's, there is pressure. There's pressure always in that scenario. So, right. but you nailed it. Oh, well. I hope it was fun. Yeah, it was. It was fun. So, Did you meet Mike through the Sons of the Silent Age yeah. thing? Yeah. So, so the Sons of the Silent Age thing is the Bowie thing that you've been doing for how long? I think eight years, nine years. How did that start? That, um, uh, Chris Connolly and I have been friends for a long time, and, and we were working together on a, on a song of mine, and uh, we were just kicking around the idea of how much fun it would be to just get a group of musicians together just to play a bunch of Bowie songs, you know, kind of uh, as a lark, you know, not too serious. Uh, but then the more we talked about it, the more I'm like, well, we need, you know, we really need two guitarists and then we really need backup singers and we really need a horn player and we really need percussion. And suddenly it's like a 10 piece band. It's just hard to do small, you know, especially if you're doing like the whole career. So we put this rather large band together and it was a benefit show well they've all been benefit shows at the metro and this first benefit in january of 2013 maybe um uh yeah the 
we had uh, Jason Narducci and, and Mike Shannon do a set of Lou Reed before we played. Um, and since that, since that show, he, Mike has been a guest, a special guest five times maybe. And we've done all sorts of different Bowie related things, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, I mean, it's T-Rex this last time, uh, you got a lot of attention for the Stooges thing that you did. Oh yeah. When he, uh, yeah. Cause cause he did, it was less for life. So yeah, yeah. He opened up, I guess, as, as Lou Reed, or wait, do we have another opening band? I honestly can't remember, but we were doing like a best of Berlin, that whole era. So Mike came on in the middle of that set and did the Iggy songs that Bowie produced from the era, like Lust for Life and The Idiot. Oh, he did The Idiot too. I didn't he did that. Well, not the whole album, but just like select tunes from those records, right. um, which was really awesome. I love that stuff. It was so fun to play live. It's great. It's so great. So... Yeah, with that band plays once or twice a year, maybe. I mean, I, it would be nice to play more, but at the same time, it's such a huge production that by the time I get through the show, I'm just like, I don't yeah, have to do that I mean, for a while. <laughs> if your point was to not be too serious about it, you, you failed because it is completely serious. I mean, it's it's a quite a production. I know, and you know, you can't help feeling that we have to top ourselves every year. You know. Yeah. Um, so. It is a big production. Yeah, it's a good cause. You know, we, we it's often it's usually a, a, a benefit raising funds awareness for for cancer patients. Um, uh, we've done the last five have benefited North Shore uh, uh, Integrative Medicine. Right. But uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I I won the raffle. Uh, yeah, I got the Paul Stanley guitar. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? I'm totally serious. I got like this email and I thought it was a joke. I was just, they're like, you won the raffle. I was like, come on. Wait. It, it's impossible. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I want to see it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm figuring that I, what am I going to do with this thing? It's got to go to Liars Club, right? I mean, it, that's the only real home for that thing. Yeah. Well, make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. You can go, you can, we, everyone can visit Everyone can see it. Have you still not gotten it yet, Scott? <laughs> no, it's here. It's oh. it's in the it's over by the door in the foyer. Is that a foyer? I guess it is. Mm-hmm. I got a foyer. What are your top three Bowie songs? That's pretty difficult. I mean, the first one that jumped into my mind was probably Heroes, even though you know it would probably be everybody's. Okay, one of their tops. Um, I just think of the ones that I enjoy playing. So they're not necessarily like my favorite song. Uh, I love playing Joe the Lion. Mm-hmm. I love the energy. I, I, I really lean towards the Scary Monsters era. Yeah. And also Station to Station era. In fact, we, we played the whole album Station to Station, which was, which was great. A lot of work. Um, we also did Low, which was a lot of work. Um, so I still haven't answered your third, third question. <laughs> No, uh, fantastic I, voyage. I love. Um, I, I just. What about you, Gabe? What are your favorite Bowie songs? I knew you're gonna ask me, and I'm gonna sound like an idiot here because Mike. The idiot's Iggy. It's not Bowie. Well, yeah, but I, Mike, <laughs> my knowledge of Bowie is not anywhere near your guys. So, I, you know, I don't. I just scratch the surface when it comes to Bowie. Uh, growing up, the song "Fame" always stuck in my head. I could never get it out. So I'll just. You like fame? I do. Really? I do I actually. I knew that about you. Scott, are you judging him? 
Oh, yes. No, I just, if I had to guess his favorite Bowie song, I don't know if I would have thought Fame. It's because so, when, you're, when you're a kid and you hear it on the, you know, your father's turntable all the time at all the parties, that's the song that I think of when I think of Bowie. Wow. So you're swinging parties and playing Fame. Yeah. What about what, you, Ben? What's your favorite Bowie song? Well, the the one that came out at exactly the right time for me to just be totally in love with it and fall in love with Bowie was Ashes to Ashes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and But then the 45 that I bought that I probably played more than any other 45 ever, like I don't know how that thing still has any grooves in it, was Under Pressure, which is, I guess, a goofy choice, but I just loved that fucking song when it came out. I would say Under Pressure is one of my all-time favorite songs, period. It's great, you know, and I totally buy it. I totally buy the drama of it and, you know, just the, I don't want to say the ridiculousness of it, but there is an over-the-top type of thing that I think a lot of people write off. And I'm like, no, 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 I think it's great, you know? I think they're, they balance each other so perfectly, Freddie Mercury and David Bowie. It's like, they, it's weird. They're both over-the-top in completely oh, yeah. different ways, and yeah, it's right. just okay. beautiful. I thought you were saying one wasn't over-the-top. I'm like, they're both completely oh, no, over-the-top. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if I remember right from what I've read about that song, neither were happy with that recording. Like Hmm. they didn't feel that it was finished and they didn't like the recording process. Um, At least I think, I think Bowie didn't feel that it was complete. I think life on Mars. I mean, I, I love ashes to ashes and I would say that's my favorite, but lately life on Mars. I mean, is there a better song? I mean, it is crazy. It's, it's crazy. Well, I'll say like when we're putting set lists together, which I, I get to do usually, and you're looking at the amount of amazing songs, the amount of iconic songs. Yeah, it's yeah. it's staggering. I mean, it's not just like five or six. It's like 25 or 30, you yeah, know? Yeah. I mean, it's really just incredible. That's the one one reason we can do this year after year is because there's so much material. I mean, there's there's great songs that we've you know not done yet, you know? Right, but this year you you hit them all. Like you you hit Absolute Beginners, which is one of my total favorites, and you you did Lazarus, which I, I I, I love. Yeah, I actually wanted to do more of his recent work than than that. I wanted to try Black Star. I wanted to try maybe something from outside, even. Um, yeah. When I heard Black Star, I couldn't stop listening to that song for like a solid week, which I never do with songs anymore. But that song just I could not stop listening to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's so inspiring about that record is like. You know, he it, it was the last thing he was ever going to do, and he knew it. And you should, everything you do should be like it's the last thing you're going to do, you know? Good point. So speaking of Life on Mars, you had Sinead O'Connor one year on that, and she just brought the house down. She did. That was a glorious moment. I mean, you know, from my perspective, it was glorious. You know, I yeah. can only imagine you know, what it was like from, from as an audience member, but, but I could feel what the audience was feeling. Cause you know, I'm, I'm seeing their reaction to right. her and right. it, it was brilliant. I mean, it was amazing. And I just, I, we rehearsed it once or twice, not much. And in rehearsal, you know, we went through it, but she didn't sing it like that. Mm-hmm. She didn't do that until like she came out and did it. And it was, it was just like, is this really happening? I mean, it was just incredible. And there, yeah. there's that instrumental um, passage after the first chorus, before the second verse. And 
And she looked back at me because um, she was actually living in my house at, t- at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so we were, we, we were close and she just gave me the, the most angelic smile. Like she was so happy and this was so much fun. And it was just, I, it was a look I'll treasure forever. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. You kind of buried the lead there. She was living at your house for a while. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Life is strange. Really? Very, very strange. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but she kind of disappeared for a while while she was living at your house, right? Yeah. Yeah, she did. Um, she, honestly, I'm not even sure where she went. I think a couple of times she went off and she was going through a really hard time. So at some point, um, my wife was worried and she, I, I guess, called the police and of course that somehow they went public and the second it went public there were like news trucks and helicopters oh, and God. it was crazy and I had a TMZ call I was actually in LA at the time and uh but you know TMZ calling me but calling my kids too <laughs> oh no and and you know they they were outside for a couple of days and then um they got tired and most of them went away except for one really persistent UK tabloid guy who was just out there for a week i think he was like living in his car it was really bizarre but she did cut she actually uh shanae came back to stay with us a little bit after that too um it was a few months i think she just needed to be out of ireland and somehow or another she ended up here at my house what does she eat for breakfast <laughs> uh coffee just coffee. <laughs> there was a lot of coffee a lot of uh uh, she liked Slurpees too. We, we went to Seven Eleven a lot. Sinead likes Slurpees. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. How old were you when you started playing drums? Oh, young. I I when I started playing seriously, I was probably ten or wow. something like that. That is young. Well, my dad is a musician. My and his dad is a musician, and as you know, my brother's a musician. So it's kind of in the family mm-hmm. you know that movie did you ever see that movie american pop yeah ralph baxchi bax bax i can never say that right baxchi um that always reminded me of my family a bit um how it goes from generation to generation and you know different eras different times you know because my grandfather was more of a classical composer uh-huh and what was your dad? My dad was primarily a blues keyboardist. So in my youth, in the 70s, he played with a lot of the kind of um, notable blues acts in Chicago, uh-huh. like Junior Wells, Sun Seals, um, Jimmy Johnson. And so I was really quite exposed to that lifestyle and that world and music early. Right. And I, I would sit in with them, too, when I was young. Um, I can remember sitting at the, tw- at the Kingston Mines. I was probably like, you know, 13. And that, wow. the Kingston Mines wasn't like the tourist haven that it is now. It wasn't, you know, like a tourist thing. It was, right. it was a Chicago blues thing. So, I mean, granted, I was only, I was just a kid, but I could, it felt kind of menacing. So were you a prog guy? Yeah. Yeah, heavy prog. But I always liked soul and funk too. So yeah. it was like a weird combo. And so the other... The other big influence was that my dad also 
Well, he worked for Playboy magazine in the like earlier 70s. Um, Here we go. <laughs> we lived in the Playboy building briefly downtown. Really? Yeah. So um, he did that for a number of years. He was a, he was a writer, but eventually he quit. And that's when he started playing in the uh, blues bands. But he, I think he stayed on um, doing record reviews. So he would come home weekly with stacks of records. You know, our house, our house was like a record store. And then he would always just like, he would pick out records that he just guessed I would like. And to this day, it kind of frames my, like, you know, my, like my tastes, you know, there's like, right. there's prog rockers like that. The Peter Gabriel melting face record was definitely right. one of them. There's like new wave, which was uh, like split ends and Gary Newman. The classic rock was, uh, you know, the who, um, and then I had these like all these weird obscure like soul records like Narada, Michael Walden, and of course Ohio players and that kind of yeah. stuff. So, and that really was kind of that's how I'm shaped still to this day. That's like where my intuition is. That's great. Yeah, that's good parenting. <laughs> yeah, I'm thankful. Yeah. What was the first band you were in? Oh. Like what? What kind of are we talking about? Kid band, like high, like junior high, that kind of sure, thing. Or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let's start there. I think I, I forced friends to play instruments so I could have a band. <laughs> I that I was that guy. I was like, you can play guitar. Yeah. Here's here's how twenty five or six to four goes. I I knew it just enough to teach someone else to play it so that I could play drums with them. So that was like eighth grade. And I think we called ourselves like Skinlaria Prime. Maris, Marius, or whatever that fish. Oh, after the Yes song. After the Yes song. Yeah. Prague, Prague Gold Star, right there. (laughs) Pretty good, pretty good. And so what? And and then we thought that was we thought that was too complex a name, so we we changed our our name to Four Four, like the time signature. (laughs) Yeah. Which is about as dumb as you can get. That's not Praggy at all. (laughs) No, I mean it should have been like thirteen eight. (laughs) <laughs> 13, eight, five, four. Um, yeah. And then bands, I just had bands all through high school, you know, numerous bands, some proggy, some, there was a group of guys that I played more almost like, um, uh, like old, well, like, like Dave Edmonds type rock and roll, Marshall Crenshaw or that kind of stuff. He, wait, your friends in high school are playing Dave Edmonds and Marshall Crenshaw. They were really yeah. into it. That seems crazy to me. That's not Iron Maiden. No. <laughs> we did play some of that, though. We played some, um, well, I guess, not, I don't know if it's Iron Maiden. No, we would play Ozzy sometimes. I mean, you know, when Crazy Train came out, who didn't want to play that? I, I know, it's great. It's the best. Have you heard the new Ozzy stuff? No. I'm, Jeff Beck is playing on it. Is he really? Like, the entire record is just, it has Jeff Beck, uh, uh, Tony Iommi, Clapton, Zach Wilde. It's just each song has a different solo from some great guitar player. And is it great? I like Jeff Beck. Yeah. We can change the subject now. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> he doesn't want to incriminate himself. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to. It's a little, it's not easy over here. Uh, so, so what was the first band that you were playing with in Chicago that you kind of like thinking, okay, my career is starting. Here, here I, I'm going. Right. Uh, I played with uh, Scott Bennett, local musician, and the group was called Scott Bennett and the Obvious. Mm-hmm. 
I started playing with him when I was 18, and I think around 20, we, we got a record deal, and we signed to Giant Records. Really? Mm-hmm. And that, which was Irving Azoff's offshoot mm-hmm. label. Mm-hmm. And again, it's the age-old tale, you know, we, we made the record, and everything was looking good, and then... I don't remember exactly what happened, but the the label folded and our and our guy moved and da 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 and suddenly there was no deal and then the band fell apart and so nothing ever happened. The record never came out. So that was the first. That was your first taste of heartbreak. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was a great experience because you know we recorded that record at um, CRC, mm-hmm. and I was young, and um, a guy named Jim Tulio was producing it who was a, a commercial producer and he he worked me hard like young um mm-hmm. playing wise and because i kind of i don't know i i was confident you know how you're cocky at yep. 18 19 20 well, suddenly like i wasn't so cocky anymore i had well it's just like going to the studio and being that meticulous um for like long days, day after day, that was that was difficult, but it was really good. I mean, I got really good at playing to a click track, and um, my chops, you know, improved quite a bit. So after that, was that when you started playing in Filter? Um, yeah, I played in a few more bands. So after Scott Bennett and The Obvious, I I played in a band called Tribal Opera, right, with Preston, right, from Cupcakes. Yes, it was also my brother. Um, Solomon on, on bass. Right. So we, we had tribal opera and then that came to a, you know, fiery end. Um, Shocking. Yeah, I know. Uh, I can't believe it. I think the last uh, argument of that era was, um, I think Preston wanted to change the name of the band and he wanted to change the band, band name to Cupcakes. And I uh, thought that was really stupid. I said, I'm never going <laughs> to play in a band called Cupcakes. Right. <laughs> And then I went off, and then then I I I did I joined Filter, and and maybe like a year and a half later, reconnected with Preston, and sure enough, you know that was beginning of Cupcakes. Yeah, so he wasn't giving that up. He, no, he he had that idea for a long time, you know. Right. So for a while, I was in Filter, but also in Cupcakes. I was doing both, which was um, and, and Smashing Pumpkins too, right? So. They it all kind of ran together. Um, so for Filter, I was pretty much a touring drummer for that album, the Short Bus album, mm-hmm. the one with Hey Man I shot, right. and um, I mean we toured really hard for, I think, over a year straight, and I had I had never toured like that. That was crazy. Um, and speaking of Ozzy, we opened up for Ozzy, um, wow, which was interesting because uh-huh. why. It, uh, it's a tough crowd yeah. <laughs> and you can be all hard and mean and serious and tough and they don't give a shit. No. So, um, yeah, that was a bit tough, but we also opened up for smashing pumpkins and that was the melancholy tour. So it was big. Um, and that's when I got to know them. Um, that was in Europe. Um, but before jumping ahead, so I was in filter and then right as the filter tour ended, was when Pumpkins needed a drummer. It was like, I was finishing our tour in Hawaii with Filter, and I got called about doing an audition. Right, and talk about TMZ. That was, that, there was a lot of drama going on. 
There was. During that period, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I came straight home from tour. I auditioned and I got the gig, obviously, and then went right back on tour. Um, but all along, Cupcakes was, go- was together and going on at the same time. So I was, I flew home on off days from that tour and played shows with Cupcakes like a double door. Wow. Which was not the smartest thing to do. I mean, if anything had gone wrong, if I'd missed my flight or, you know, anything to get back to that tour, uh, I, I would have been toast. I'm sure I would have been fired. Yeah. Luckily nothing did happen, but just in retrospect. Um, and were, were, were the people that you were playing with, were they supportive that, you know, you had this thing that you really loved or were they just kind of like, ah, this is a pain in the ass. Uh, they were probably like, it's a pain in the ass is my guess. But on the other side of the thing, um, the guys in cupcakes were really supportive and they were willing to work around my crazy schedule. And not only did I come home to play shows, but they met me in other cities to rehearse on off days. I mean, I don't know what I was possessed by. Well, actually I do. I mean, I, I, you know, I love being in bands. I always have loved being in bands and as amazing as being in the pumpkins was, you know, I still missed wanting to be in a band with friends creating something from the ground up. Right. Right. I mean, were you scared that you were becoming a session guy? No, because I, because I always wanted to be that too. Okay. (laughs) You know, there was another part, there was like different facets to me. There was another part of me that, that aspired to be a, a session guy and, and, down the down the road a little bit after pumpkins i i kind of became that um you know right, like a right commercial drummer in chicago and i that was one of my favorite times in my career actually yeah why just just different challenges all the time yeah exactly you know you you get this you know it's always a last minute call so there's always this sense of importance you know you like you know you gotta be downtown but it's like nine in the morning you gotta be downtown 10 30 or 12 and you show up and all the other musicians there and they're all amazing and they hand you some music and they say, you know, you got to play this like Latin tune or you got to play this punk rock tune or this song has to sound like, you know, some psychedelic music from the sixties, whatever right. it is. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, it was fun and that world is gone. I mean, that died. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah, cause people are doing it at home. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a slow fade over the years, um, but ultimately, yeah, people, you know, weren't going to pay for the studio musicians. They weren't going to pay for the studio time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and everyone just started doing things at home. You can make it sound just as good and, you know, and it's a lot less fun. So I did that for a while from home, but that that was kind of grueling. So I, I've let that go. Yeah. Yeah. So... It- so at what point are you just like, look, I, you know, this is great playing and smashing pumpkins, but I, I've got to do cupcakes. I've got to give it a shot, right? Yeah, they, it kind of, I mean, the paths kind of converged because my time in pumpkins, the tour went really well and, and was successful and I was getting along with them really well, but getting into the recording of a door, that was difficult. Why? Um, it's interesting because it started out great. Like the first two or three songs we recorded went really easily. They, they were, it just all came together. 
But by the fourth song, fifth song, we kind of hit some snags and things weren't, you know, coming like, or turning out like, you know, Billy was hoping for. And um, we were recording in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brad Wood was producing, actually. Oh. But we were doing this thing where we were changing a studio every week. So we were recording a different song for a week in a different studio. And then we would go to a different studio and record a different song. Just as a... You know, it was just a concept. It was just an idea of a way to record. Right. But when when things started going south, um, Billy decided he wanted to go to L.A., and I think he let Brad go at that point. Like, he was frustrated, so the first person he, he felt like was possibly part of the problem was Brad. So he kind of like, you know, there was friction there. And then once Brad was gone, I was the next guy. Uh-huh. You know, he was like, you must be the problem. You're the reason this isn't working. Right. So... It wasn't fun. It became really, it was really difficult. And so after a little bit of recording in LA, it was just kind of apparent that like I needed to go just do my own thing. Um, I could say it was mutual. It was more definitely that they said, you know, we don't need you now. (laughs) So, but there was a part of me was like, great, I'll go do uh, cupcakes now. And that's what I did. And then, and, and we, we had signed a record deal in the, in the meantime, um, and it, they were just kind of waiting for me to have the time to go record the record. So really, so you're working on this Pumpkins record, and you've got a deal just sitting there waiting for you. Yeah, wow, I know it's your cup runneth over. <laughs> it certainly <laughs> did. Uh, the cupcake cupcake runneth yeah. over. Yeah, um, yeah. So then that that was the next thing was from. Um, the pumpkin time to the cupcake time. Well, I mean, you know, cupcakes, it was a great band. It was a great record. And you ended up working with Steven street. Yeah. I mean, how many different producers did you go through before you st- settled on Steven? We did record with a few and we met with a few. Interestingly, uh, we did re- meet with Roy Thomas Baker, who I know. Oh, you really? Were. Okay, good. Um, did you go to his place? No, he met us at a bar. Uh-huh. And he ordered uh, a Foster's, right? I honestly don't remember what I, oh, I remember did. pieces of his, 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 his stories, you know, I felt like he, we met with him and, and he, he talked for like four hours straight and then the meeting was over something like uh-huh. that about like, you know, racing Rolls Royces across the deserts in Africa and you know, like eating monkey brains or something like that. It's something <laughs> really exotic. Yeah. I vaguely remember, you know, I have these memories that are in your head and you're like, is that, is that real? Did I, did I make or that? Or is that from Indiana Jones? Yes, I can't yeah. remember. Well, you might know more stories than I do from working with him. He had stories. I always felt kind of like I, I, I always felt like he wished we were more party animals. Like you know, I felt bad that we weren't Motley Crue. You know, I felt like I felt a little um, less less than mm. a little conservative for his uh, liking. Probably. I mean, this guy's making records with Queen and Motley Crue, and now he's got to put up with us. I was just kind of like, eh, this has got to be a bit of a letdown. I mean, how do you compete with them? You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. Um, so the Cupcakes recording with um, Stephen Street, yeah, in, in London, and he, he was the right choice. He was amazing. And, and, um, it, the record was not easy to make again lots of pressure and we were already kind of a pressurized unit with lots of friction 
built right. in. So, um, so there's lots of drama, but the record did come out great, and 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 Stephen was able to kind of like steer the ship and make it happen and get it done. Although, see if this experience sounds familiar to you. Okay. So we fin- we finished a record, and the label DreamWorks, they're like, well. We're not sure what the single is. It could be this song, but we want you to re-record it right. with, with someone else. And what song was that? Uh, Exaggerator. Okay. Which is the lead song on the record. Um, but the story is, so we, did, we went to LA and we recorded Exaggerator and, and a new version, uh, Faster Tempo. Um, and I remember that, you know, they were trying to make it a single. So the, the headspace that people get into when they're trying to make a song, a single is, is really, yeah, it's really awful. Right. So I can't remember who said it. I want to say it was someone from the label. They were talking about the lyrics and they were saying, oh, we don't know about this word atonement. They thought that people wouldn't know what it meant. And which is, it's not like a big word really and if no. they don't know what it means they can look it up right but i remember having this argument of you know we're not changing that lyric i mean it was preston's lyric but i feel like i was on the battlefield for that one and then uh and then so we record it and 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 we also recorded the song uh what was the other song uh it's escaping me right now uh which is ridiculous um mm. future go future girls Future Girls something boys. Right? Future Boys, yeah. Yeah. So we record those two songs and and the label likes the new version of Exaggerator, but we all like Stephen Street's version. So I can still remember being like on tour in vans. We were doing vans, you know, like a couple of vans, um yeah. with the gear. And being on the phone ar- having this long argument with the label, like about which version it's going to be on the record. And I was making a case that, you know, ultimately they don't care and no one really cares. We might as well just go with what we like. It's, it's going to be our artifact in the end. Um, you know, um, and, and, but it's tough cause you want to be a, you know, you want to give the, them what you want, what they want. You want to be a team player, I guess. Right. Well, right. Cause as soon as you, whatever the, the case is, as soon as you go against the grain, they deem you difficult. Right. And that is what happened. And so we, we got our way, we got our, our version of exaggerator on the thing, but between that and a few other incidents, um, we, we lost favor with the label and pretty soon it, the writing was just on the wall. They were just like done with us and they weren't going to do anything with the record. And it was just, that was by far the most heartbreaking, disappointing thing that right. I've had probably happen in the music. The way you bend thoughts is what I favor. The way I'll choose a layer.
So yeah, it's the same same thing. The the record well, the record did come out in this case, so at least it actually got released. But nothing right. happened with it, and we 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 soon broke up afterwards. Um, yeah, but we I mean, toured you know, with you. I know. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and I remember there was a lot of uh, there was some uh, incidents and combustible in- incidents on that tour. I remember there was some show that you were supposed to play with us in St. Louis and you had a bunch of like uh, oh publishing guys coming out that was uh one of the things i was suggesting you know referencing regarding the label losing faith the label was coming to to see us play right and uh our singer didn't want to go down and do that show yeah i i remember your reaction because i'd never really heard this before but you were like talking about your family and how you had a family and it was like you know I was like oh yeah you know he's got somebody else that relies on him to do this stuff and you know um and I never forgot that well you know any of us when we're in bands particularly in bands um it's you you give so much to it but not only do you but anyone who's close to you is part mm-hmm. of it whether they right. want like it or not and in my case, you know, at that, that, you know, I was married and had a, had a daughter and, um, all my decisions, all the things that my, my, uh, endeavors were their endeavors, you know, they were affected their lives as much. So when things were going like, when, when it seemed like things were really uncalled for, like, you know, kind of stupid and childish, it's like, to me, it just felt like. I, this is a waste of like my, my responsibility is being challenged. And, um, I just feel like it's, it hits on a different level when there's other people, like you said, you know, depending on you and they're like, there's a, you know, I'm gone They're you know, they're living life without me. I'm on on the road. And 
you know, I guess it's, you know, if you're out there playing with a big band and making a big paycheck, you know, and it, it may be a little easier to justify, but when you're out there in a van, you know, with a bunch of guys just like mm-hmm. playing half empty clubs, hoping that, you know, this record you made will be taken seriously. I mean, the whole family takes the risk with you. Yeah. So after that, you just start playing with like Morrissey and garbage. And- it was a long time. I, that's where I kind of like, I, after that I was doing more sessions in Chicago. Yeah. But I had a few kind of things happen along the way. Like that was the first time soon after that was the first time garbage called for me to f- sit in fill in for Butch. And also in that time, um, Billy Corrigan put out his solo record, the future embrace, mm-hmm. which I was a part of, um, part of the recording and the tour for that record. So, yeah. So and kind of the connecting the dot there to the, my, my leaving the pumpkins. Um, it was only a year or two after I left that we kind of reconnected yeah. and became better friends. Like, right. it, like we became friends. And then from that point on, we, we continued to work together on various projects and it's, I, I still do. I still, um, collaborate with him or he calls me to help out with, you know, different things he's working on. And, um, yeah, it's a much better relationship. Now. So he realized the problem wasn't you. It was yeah. all the pressure for him to, you know, yeah. follow up that record, you know, yeah. and figure out what to do with a new drummer. And exactly. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, he didn't want to admit isn't the right word, but like that chemistry that he had with Jimmy, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's fucking incredible. And yeah, I, yeah. I probably know better than anyone because I had to go in and assimilate it and understand what it was that made it tick. And I feel like I understood it then, like I, I did get it, but I, in my own estimation, I wasn't capable of recreating it then. Um, just, you know, I was a different, I was a very different drummer from Jimmy, which is part of the reason that he chose me to, to be the, the next guy. Cause I think he wanted to try something really different, radically mm. different, but you know, he couldn't help but miss that, that connection because it's, you know, it's, it's a, such a vibrant visceral thing that they have. I mean, I don't know how, how much you, know of their music or seen them live but oh, i have yeah i mean it's you know it's 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 pretty magical what they what they have so it wasn't a surprise to me that that was a problem you know um and 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 what the way i played worked great for some things but for other things you know and just you know he wanted what jimmy offered you know he, he had a lot of other drummers come in too i think after me was kenny aronoff you know right who's even further the other direction away. I remember I think the first show with him was at the Cheap Trick show oh okay what the fuck is going on here yeah it was different yeah I mean you know I I give him a lot of credit he tries different things and you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't I mean Kenny's an amazing drummer obviously um and uh, yeah, he just, he just went with it, but I'm glad as a pumpkins fan myself, you know, I'm glad that in these last few years that, you know, Jimmy's back in the fold and James is back too. And, um, I mean, they're playing shows and they sound great. I mean, it's just great to see, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't you ever move to LA? You could have. Yeah. Uh, I, hate is a strong word, okay. but, uh, <laughs> 
I just never felt the desire to live out there. And I mean, the first few times I went to LA, I felt like an alien. Like I just felt awkward and pale and Midwestern and like <laughs> from a different universe. And everybody was like, you know, so beautiful and, you know, seemingly wealthy and like, you know, different energy. And I just, and smart. Oh, they're also smart. Oh, really smart. I yeah. was really intimidated by their intellect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't hate LA so much, uh, but um, it's just never felt like a place I wanted to live. But yeah, a lot of our you know colleagues from Chicago made their way out there and have done well. Right. But I was just lucky that being here in Chicago, that gigs kept coming. I just like just very lucky. I mean, I I don't know Dude, what to say. I, I, you're good. I mean, what? It's, I know I'm it's good. Not that surprising. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of all the things. It's it's being good and having a work ethic, and being lucky. I mean, yeah. I I would be foolish to say anything different. Um, so then, yeah. So the next big gig after all of that, and I was thinking, I was kind of thinking like maybe that phase of my career is done, but there was an almost nine inch nails thing, which I don't really tell that story, which is not a big thing, but. I almost toured with Nine Inch Nails twice. Oh yeah, yeah. Didn't work out, but it's fine because it it was how I ended up being. Not how, but had it worked out, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do Morrissey. I mean, okay, how did that happen? Because I I don't know if you yeah. know, but I'm a huge Morrissey fan, and uh, I just I just think that's the the greatest story ever. It's playing in his band. It's one of those things that I mean. I'd be lying if I didn't say I was, I would pinch myself sometimes live, you know, I'm like playing how soon is now. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, that is, I'm, this isn't a, like a cover gig. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm playing the song that he wrote and, you know, um, and countless other songs would, I would feel the same way, but that came about because they were auditioning drummers in LA. And also this actually ties into your comment about people moving to LA. Well, having so many people from Chicago move to LA, it was kind of like I had a contingency there. And when they found out that they were holding drummer auditions, you know, they're like, Oh, you got to come out and word my name got thrown in the bin and I flew out and an auditioned. I don't know how many did maybe 12, 15, something like that. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I got the gig and it was just incredible. So, you know, before I knew it, I was just on the road playing those songs with Morrissey, and it was it was surreal for a while. But just like anything, you know, it's like all of a sudden you you, you get used to it, you know. And I did it for a lot. I was in the band for a long time. <clears throat> right. What about the the Mexican the Mexican? Uh, oh, that fandom. That's very real. Yeah. And it's, it's great. It's the coolest thing. There's a, there's, someone made a documentary about it. Um, when I joined the band, so, I didn't know about that. Okay. All right. That's what I wanted to know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I was a fan. I wouldn't say I was a super fan, but I became a bigger fan just being in the band. Like I, I kind of, I mean, I was sold as a terrible word, but I just like the more intimately I, be, got with the material and and knowing him and I just it, he's a remarkable artist yeah 
but they are crazy and that we'd be in South America and, and we'd be eating and there'd be hundreds of fans outside the restaurant and we were running. It was like the Beatles, you know, of course, <laughs> of course they're not chasing the band, but we're running alongside Morrissey cause he's right. running and fans are running after him and that's what you do. So, um, it was very real and very crazy. And, and also the stage invasions, you know, um, I don't know if, how much you know about that, but people rush the stage and try to get at least a hug from uh, him during the show. Shirt. Yep. And yeah. sometimes it's one person, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's a dozen, and suddenly we stop playing and have to just get off the stage, you know, it just gets <laughs> out of control. So it's amazing. Yeah, it's it is it's an amazing thing. I was, like Tom Jones. Yeah. We played a gig with tom jones morrissey and top tom jones that is the best double bill of all oh, time. there might have been one better double bill it was a festival uh what was the name of the festival um harvest it was in england but it was us and um iggy pop lou reed patty smith and magazine and magazine yeah magazine what yeah it's crazy so that was so were Iggy and Morrissey hanging out? Yeah, they what? they hung out. Yeah, they're And you're pr you were there in the same room hanging out yourself. I don't remember if I was in the same room with Iggy at that particular hangout, but I've had many of those I've had many of those situations where like because of who I play with or who I know, I am suddenly at a table with David Bowie or Chrissy Hind or, or Bono or like, you know, <laughs> surreal, very surreal. Um, who, who did you make the biggest ass of yourself in front of? Well, I don't think that they thought this, but I felt it uh -huh. was Chrissy Hind. <laughs> I, I, I had trouble speaking. Um, uh -huh. I, I, it's just, I've just idolized her for so long and she's, she's so intense and, it was at a, the first time I, I met her a number of times because she and Morrissey are, are fr good friends. Wow. Um, I'm sure she would not remember me, but it um, doesn't matter. She, she, we were at this party. and Is it because they're both vegetarians? Is that why they're good that's, friends? They, they bond over that. Okay. And, the, and, and I, I don't know the, the reason beyond that. They're just, they really like each other. Mm. Um, and they've both they've covered each other's songs. And, um, but I had... I, I wanted to tell Chrissy the story of when my daughter was really young. She loved this pretender song, uh, Human on the Inside, which is kind mm -hmm. of a later, later single. Um, and she would sing along with her, and she wanted, re she wanted to record it, herself singing it. <laughs> and so I, I recorded her like with a mic, you know, into Pro Tools over the song. And, I, and when I played, played the song back, her face just fell like, she was so disappointed because in her mind, she sounded just like Chrissy Hind. You know, like when you're singing along with the radio and you think, you think you sound like that. It's the first time you hear your own voice, you know? So she was really disappointed. So I tried to tell that story to Chrissy Hind and I just, I, it was just very difficult to speak. I just felt incredibly intimidated. But I, I, I met her on other occasions and was less of a babbling idiot. Uh-huh. <laughs> What is the thing you were telling me where uh, when you're playing during Morrissey shows and you 
they'd be playing like the slaughterhouse footage behind you and you're looking at the crowd's face. Yeah. Well, during Mita's murder, yeah, we yeah. would play that. And we played that every show for years. And they would project really brutal slaughterhouse footage behind me. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so I, it was really kind of fascinating to, to watch the crowd's reaction to it because people were like, some people would be crying, some people <laughs> covering their eyes, other people got up and left, you know, right. whatever it is, it, it, it got its point across. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, he has very, very strong views and when you're in the band, you know, you're, you're, you are to some extent, you know, representing his views, right? Which gets tricky when it gets political. Cause I don't know if you know, I mean, he's got, yeah. Yeah. It's a little disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to know how much of that is contrarian because yep. he is like the ultimate contrarian. I don't think it's entirely that. He he hates the status quo with a passion. So yeah. he will always rebel against that. Um, so you, yeah, that was different. Were you playing with him uh, at that Metro show? I mean, that was years ago. I, I don't know if you joined yet. And... Uh, you know, he has the rule that nobody can eat meat in the building. And, of course, somebody was eating a Polish sausage. And he found out about it. Or maybe he just mentally knew. Um, and so he left the shit in the dressing room as sort of payback for that. <laughs> and and so somebody, somebody you know, put, put it in a bag and who knows what happened to it. Wound up on the internet or something. That sounds not quite true, but not <laughs> not impossible either. I have no inside knowledge of that, but I will say that we played Coachella and we came out and, you know, at a lot of those festivals, you know, they have all the meat stalls. So it's just, it's in the air. It's like, it's such a strong smell. And he, he comes out and he would often, um, say something before we would start the first song he wouldn't say like i'm gonna say this he would just say it so i just remember this one time he goes uh, you know i can that's the smell of burning flesh i hope it's human <laughs> it was always something biting and clever right but um yeah so the, the better part of 13 years that was my morrissey stint wow what do you guys got so I'm I'm listening to your story here, Matt, and it's like we had we had Greg Saran on here about a month ago, and he, his his story is very very much like yours. But mm. and I called I called him the Skunk Baxter of Chicago. But now it sounds like you're the drummer Skunk Baxter, <laughs> the drummer of, version, the drummer version. What is the drummer version of Skunk Baxter? There's uh, there's no name that's as cool as Skunk Baxter. No, I know. So Boz. <laughs> no, there's a. <laughs> Boz is a pretty cool name. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, the session greats would be like Jeff Percaro or Steve Gadd or um, John Robinson. Is that his name? I don't know. Jim we'll Keltner. give, we'll let Jim, Jim Keltner. Keltner. Yeah. I'll take, Jim I'll take a Jim Keltner. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So you had Greg on. I, I didn't get a chance to hear that. I should check it out and see if his, uh, if his answers, you know, align with mine. 
But it's is Greg there being a band? Greg, you know how it is. Is the Cupcakes like the most successful? Has the most successful members of any band that never really had success themselves? Because between you and Greg, it's like you've played with every fucking. Yeah, but don't forget. Well, don't forget Saul. Saul plays with Belinda Carlisle and Brian what? Adams. There you go. We, yeah. He's going to be your next guest next month. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> that I that I want to check out. Yeah, yeah. We we have our ways. Yeah, you should, you should go for it. It would be interesting, and then and then you know who you got to finish off with. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> No thanks. Might be interesting. It might so, be. So Matt, have have you and Scott ever played together? Me and who? Scott. Scott Lucas. <laughs> for I thought you said Skyler for some reason. <laughs> Scott. You mean uh, the band with the least successful members? <laughs> Wait, have we ever played together? I don't know. I I'm gonna say don't. no. I mean we've played on a lot of bills together, but Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. I went on a local H deep dive today. Oh yeah? Yeah, I did. I'm sorry. No, it was great. There's a lot that I missed. A lot. Yeah, it's understandable. Quite that's prolific. Well, I miss I miss a lot because I just I I don't know. I, I have trouble keeping up with everything in life. I mean, I don't know if everyone else feels this, but days just go by in the blink of an eye and people I other people are like, oh, did you check this out and check that out and hear that and read this article and read the book and watch this movie? And I'm like, right. How do you, where do you even get the fucking time to there's do any too, of that? There's too much. There's you know? too much. It's like people are like, how do you not know about this band? I go, I don't know, just lucky, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's my excuse. But I, I, I noted though on your cover releases that you have how many songs that i love that you've covered that i always felt were not the ones most people would pick oh yeah like what like big log <laughs> <laughs> well i hope that wasn't um i hope you weren't mocking it because i love no, that I, song. I, I don't do mocking okay. covers that's not me uh, i love that song um doves cry yeah was that mockery no Oh no 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 no! But that but that's also kind of like the knowledge that you probably shouldn't touch it. But you know, yeah. In most cases, I would say that's true. But yours is so drastically different. I think it gives you you got to pass, and you know, did a good job with that. But that song that is one of my you know we said un, I mentioned under pressure. But when doves cry is probably also probably one of my top ten favorite recordings. It's incredible. I, I mean, yeah, it's incredible. The vocal performance, and, and you know, I get so angry when I hear the short version on the radio. Oh, that's terrible. And they fade it out. I'm like, what are you doing? The best part's coming up. I will, like, so that's one of those songs that, like, every time I hear it, I have a different, like, a realization. Like, something else strikes me. You know, like, right. I think about, like, oh, that keyboard. Like, yeah, I yeah. think, well, it's an incredible, like, classically influenced part, the, the, runs he's doing yeah and then and then i'm thinking well you know what kind of keyboard was it or it's like you know all these like kind of geeky questions and then the last time i listened to it, i was just thinking like the long outro right how it's like you have these the, the keyboard stuff and you have this wicked guitar and then you have this all these like soulful vocal passages 
Right. Like, and he's building all that as one person. It's not like a band kind of interacting. So how does that come to be? Like, how is there nothing? And then there's when doves cry. I don't know. Like, how do you birth that? that I that don't know. And at what point does he decide, you know, take the bass out? Yeah, that's a big, I mean, that is a big thing about that tune. I mean, the last time, like when we were doing that cu- that cover, I was kind of like, all right, maybe I should mess with these harmonies. And I was just like, no, these harmonies are crazy. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. There was another song you did, another cover, which I'm forgetting now, where you, the way you did the vocals was really cool. Read the Eurythmic song, maybe. Oh. Uh, you sing lower and there's a higher voice. Right. The, um. Here comes the Here rain, comes the rain again. again. Yeah. There's one more I have to mention, which I was like, that's so awesome. It's uh, Some Weird Sin. Oh, yeah, I love that song. I recorded a cover that I never finished of it. I still have the backing tracks, and they're awesome. So Let's finish it. Yeah, if you want to sing on it, it's yours. Hell yeah. Maybe we get you and Mike to do it, because there's two vocals on it. Yeah, there's that really high, uh, what is that? Is that Tony that's singing? I think it's Bowie. You know what? We we talked to uh, um, Troy, who plays with Queens, and he said that uh, Iggy said that all those background vocals were Tony. They were the Sales Brothers. That, That's got that came I mean, straight that, from the I, Iggy's mouth. I I challenge that. I mean, that is that is Bowie. I mean, that used to be. That, you know, that was not only was that my favorite Iggy record that's my favorite Bowie record too. And I was like, it counts because they're both singing. Yeah. But according to Troy, that's not him. I challenge it. I challenge him. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like think about the beginning of tonight. Those big grand, like, like, you know, glam vocals. Yeah. Yeah. That's Bowie. Oh, all that, that, yeah, that. Yeah. Nope. The sales. I'm going with Bowie. I, I know. I mean, I, by the way, speaking of the sales brothers, Hunt was recently in LA recording with a friend of mine, um, which I, I got to hear. I'm not even probably supposed to say it, but I did get to hear what he did and it's totally awesome. So hopefully really? it'll come out soon. Yeah. I don't know if you like follow him at all Hunt sales, but <clears throat> I thought it was great because he sang a couple of the tunes with tin machine too. You know, he's kind of right. I, I forget what it was called. It was on the second record, which I didn't like, but but he's quite a character, Hunt Sales. Do you guys ever play Under the God? I want to do a Tin Machine set, but I'm having trouble convincing everybody else that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should, you should form a Tin Machine band before the main set, and then you, you'd have to play two sets. But I would do that. You know. No, you we... So, I mean, this is kind of how we were talking about, like, how seriously we take it. I mean, you don't know the half of it. Cause like the idea with the, the sons of the silent age is the, the bands that play with us need to like fit into the Bowie universe. So that's why right. Lou Reed works and T-Rex works and craft work works. And we were thinking, Oh, it'd be so cool if there was a band, like a cover band of Noi, the, the German um, yeah. Krautrock band, but there wasn't one. So we talked a bunch of guys into starting one. <laughs> you guys start a uh, Noi tribute band and then you can open up for us. Doesn't that sound yeah. good? 
I we did the same thing with we did the same thing with craft work too. We just we we masterminded that. I mean, we we put a couple of guys. You were like, "Don't you want to do this? Don't you want to like do a craft work set? It'd be the coolest thing." Right. And then they they ran with it and put a band together, and it was completely awesome. Yeah, pretty so, good. So I don't know. We're running out of ideas though for opening. Yeah, I'm, I'm, where are you going to go next? I mean, I already I do know. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, it was Mike's idea, and it's awesome. I'll tell you later. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. I feel like it was just you and me talking, guys. I feel like we were rude. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no but, oh, but, I, but you were just talking about background vocals, so I did have a question for you. Okay. Maybe my favorite Smashing Pumpkins song is To Sheila, yeah. which you have a credit on. But yeah. my favorite... Some of my favorite eccentric rock stars, the Flemian Brothers, are yeah. credited with, I guess, background vocals on that song. I will tell you this, and I've never said this before, but yes, they were singing it, and so was I, standing next to them, along with Billy and maybe someone else. There was a whole group of us, and that was the only time, actually, I've ever, I think the only time I've ever sung on a record, and it just happens to be a Smashing Pumpkins record. It wasn't worth being credited for it which i wasn't but i i you know yes the flemian brothers and did you uh did you spend any time with them or yeah i did because because um when i came into the band was well dennis came into the band at the same time because he was taking over for jonathan who was who had od'd right so dennis and i kind of bonded over that i didn't know him before that i don't think but yeah, we were, we were, and we remained friends, you know, not that close, but I mean, you, you know that he passed away a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. Tragic. Yeah, crazy, so, crazy drowning accident. Yeah, he drowned. Um, so that was, that was horrible. And, but I still see Jimmy around. He, he's in, where is he? Living in? I think San he's in Antonio. Texas. He's in yeah. Texas. I'm just yeah. forgetting where. Yeah. Well, I remember those guys used to open up for everybody. <laughs> Remember that game? Oh yeah, we used to I'm, see him. We'd go to out of out of town and see shows, and they'd be there opening up for bands. Yeah, we'd be like, I've seen these guys last week. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about those guys, so good. And then the it other credit of still yours holds that, up. Oh yeah, I, the frogs are the best, and Jimmy's just the best. But the other credit of yours that fascinates me because I'm a huge, been a, was a long time huge fan of Adam Ant, and you've got mm-hmm. this writing credit on that crazy album he released. Yeah, I got this writing credit on a, a song that's not that great, but um, <laughs> I am a, I say it with this in mind, I am a massive Adam Ant fan. Like, I think he's a complete genius. I yeah, love yeah. Adam Ant. I, I just think he's so underappreciated. When you look at kind of what he did, his sound, which is like mm-hmm. the craziest combination of genres and sonically, uh, stylistically, aesthetically, you know, like the way he dressed in the colonial stuff mixed with Indian mixed with like kind of fifties jargon, like, you know, um, mm-hmm. with the tribal drums and, the, and then the whole mix with punk rock and, um, the horns, the horns are like, you know, like twenties style horns, like, sw- you know, swing horns. Right. Yeah. I just thought it was just fascinating. I don't know how that came to be. But anyway, oh, the, the, the credit was um, Boz Borer, who, long time writer, guitarist for Morrissey, um, 
was is works with Adamant and their friends and I I did some drums with Boz or for I gave him some drums and he wrote a song to what I wrote and that's how come I got the credit and it became the lead track so you didn't actually get to meet Adam or spend any time no. with him yeah. no I would love to but some you know I've met a lot of my heroes which is nice but um sometimes it's okay not to meet them too. well it's your lucky sure. day because we have Adam and <laughs> Right here. <laughs> well, I'm happy he's had a, like a re I don't know if you know you know he's been playing yeah, again yeah. at least the last few years I've seen him in the last two tours what'd uh, you th- I did too what'd you think the first comeback tour I thought he was great and the second comeback tour I saw him the night after his guitarist died yeah so Ooh. I don't know it was a rough it was That's a rough a tough, night but huge fan cool yeah thank you thanks for letting right. me I hope that was okay. I think it's great. Oh God, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. You guys are the pros. How, how long have you guys been doing this show? This is our first one. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Year and a half. I think you're number seventy-two. That's a lot. Holy shit! Episode seventy-two. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Thanks for. Thanks for. Yeah. Finally agreeing to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe someday in the future, after I accumulate a few more stories, I can... I left a couple out just so that, you know, there'd be something good. to go to next. Good. Yeah. Part, part twos are, are good. Okay. In our world. I'll take your word for it.
soon.